Hello and welcome. I'm Adrian Monk from the World Economic Forum. Each week, I put together a collection of the best pieces that we've published on our agenda blog and send it out as a regular email. In that email, I also have a section called On Our Radar, scanning the global horizon for interesting pieces that provide insight into some of the issues and challenges that we're focusing on here at the Forum. This weekly audio programme will look at what's on our radar. And today, Friday, November the 4th, what's on everyone's radar is the US presidential elections. Never mind who wins next Tuesday, one powerful element in the presidential campaign and one of the driving forces for the first 100 days of the new presidency will be the rise of populism, the calling out of immigrants as scapegoats for some of the economic challenges faced by parts of the US electorate, and the policy solutions for some of those problems, such as closing down borders, dismantling trade agreements, and aggressive clampdowns on illegal immigration. These themes aren't exclusive to the United States. We've seen the rise of populism across Europe, Many of the arguments against Britain's membership of the European Union came from the populist side of British politics. In France, the rise of the Front National. On the left, Syriza in Greece. In Germany and Holland, even in Iceland with its pirate party. And beyond in Asia, in the Philippines, in Australia with the One Nation Party. All around the world, we're seeing the rise of populist parties and the fragmentation of traditional politics as they fracture established structures. So today, I've chosen three pieces that provide some insight into both the causes and the consequences of these trends. The first article is from nearly 200 years ago, and it was written by a doctor in Manchester in the north of England. It deals with the causes of poverty in the first industrial revolution. Another academic piece comes from three social scientists on the link between the great financial crisis of 2008 and the drift into political extremism. And the last, an opinion piece from this week by an Irish economist. What happens when populists actually get their hands on the levers of power? Are they any good at really running things? And if not, why not? I'm Adrian Monk, and these are the things on my radar. The rapid growth of the cotton manufacture has attracted hither operatives from every part of the kingdom. And Ireland has poured forth the most destitute of her hordes to supply the constantly increasing demand for labour. This immigration has been, in one important respect, a serious evil. The Irish have taught the labouring classes of this country a pernicious lesson. Those are the words of Dr J.P.K., a doctor from Manchester in the north of England, the heart of the first industrial revolution. K. shone a light on the poorest areas of the newly industrialised north, and tried to search out the root causes of poverty. It was a pioneering work of social science, and he wrote it up in a pamphlet that came out in 1832. But apart from highlighting the awful conditions faced by industrial labourers, he also pointed a finger at who he thought was to blame. This is what he had to say. The Irish have taught the labouring classes of this country a pernicious lesson. The paucity of the amount of means and comforts necessary for the mere support of life is not known by a more civilised population, and this secret has been taught the labourers of this country by the Irish. As the competition and restrictions and burdens of trade diminish the profits of capital and consequently reduce the price of labour, the contagious example of ignorance and a barbarous disregard of forethought and economy exhibited by the Irish spread. So here we have the first emergence of that perennial plank of populist fervour, the immigrant as scapegoat. He is in effect saying that poverty in English workers is caused by importing cheap labour, in this case from Ireland. 
and the Irish bring with them bad values and bad habits. There are echoes of this in Donald Trump's demonisation of Mexicans, in the UK Independence Party's calls for restricted immigration in the Brexit referendum, and in calls from populist parties everywhere to close down borders and protect resources for native populations. Populists have long pointed fingers at the import of cheap foreign labour and the so-called differences between immigrant and native populations. But why do those calls rise and fall in volume? Why are some periods relatively free of populist uprising, whilst others, such as now, seem dominated by them? That was a question that Manuel Funk, Moritz Schulerich and Christoph Trebesch, three social scientists from the United States and Europe, teamed up to try and answer. They published a paper looking at the history of populism in the aftermath of financial crises, and they find that when the economy collapses, populism goes up. This is what they conclude. The typical political reaction to financial crises is as follows. Votes for far-right parties increase strongly. Government majorities shrink. The fractionalisation of parliaments rises, and the overall number of parties represented in parliament jumps. These developments likely hinder crisis resolution and contribute to political gridlock. The resulting policy uncertainty may contribute to the much-debated slow economic recoveries from financial crises. In the light of modern history, political radicalisation, declining government majorities and increasing street protests appear to be the hallmark of financial crises. As a consequence, regulators and central bankers carry a big responsibility for political stability when overseeing financial markets. Preventing financial crises also means reducing the probability of political disasters. In their analysis, the current rise of populism around the world can be laid squarely at the foot of the 2008 global financial crisis and the economic ructions and dislocations that it set off. What's more, the increasing political fragmentation caused means that politics itself becomes less able to cope with the fallout and political crises pile onto financial and economic ones, creating a vicious cycle that can be very difficult to break. The last piece on my radar looks at what happens once populists actually gain power. Do they have the means to actually address the problems that they've so successfully exploited? Stephen Kinsella is an economist at the University of Limerick, and he looks at this problem in a piece out this week called The Fatal Flaw of the Populist Approach. Kinsella says that populists tell people comforting lies and half-truths to gain power. This is not to say that people they want to replace are any better, but being honest about the constraints people face whilst in power is the only way to defeat populism. And this is the one thing those in power can't do because it deprives them of much of the very power they've spent a lifetime seeking. Centrist politics, says Kinsella, is not perfect. But replacing the elites doesn't mean replacing the constraints that rulers always face. That's populism on our radar this week. Be back next week with more from the World Economic Forum. I'm Adrian Monk. You can keep up with the forum on Facebook, on Twitter at WEF, or online at wef.ch forward slash agenda, where you'll find lots more on what's setting the global agenda. Thanks for listening. <laughs>